Every lofty idea I have, every relationship I hold, you're worthy of it all. And it's a very simple thing, but it's a very costly thing. So as we just, I just want us to come back to that place of worship where we were, and don't leave there too quick, because I think part of what receiving the word from the Lord is, is also us responding to his worthiness. And when he speaks, it's not me you're listening to, it's not any person you're listening to, you're listening to him speak to you. I mean, at a gas station, you don't pay attention to what the guy next to you is pumping. You know, like when he's pumping his gas, you don't pay attention to what he's saying. He's not worthy of your attention. Sometimes when we get into church meetings, it can become like that. Someone's saying something, so I guess it's something. But to say, no, Lord, I give you my attention. So just let's, just with a simple chorus, just let's give him our attention. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things. To you are all things. You deserve the glory. it all for from you are all things to you are all things you deserve the glory for from you are all things to you are all things you deserve the glory So I exalt Thee, I exalt Thee, I exalt Thee, O Why? 
Lord, you are exalted far above all other gods. For you, O Lord, are high above all the Far above all other gods. So with all my voice and my heart I say, I exalt thee. I exalt thee. Oh, I exalt thee. you'd open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, to see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory, Lord, over all of the things that we have in our lives, Lord, that you would shine brighter than all things, Lord, that we would give you the place that only you are worthy of. So, Lord, over this church and over our personal lives, Lord, we exalt you and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to take the highest place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we continue in that attitude of worship, let's just go to the Word. Aaron, do you want me to go up there? I'm good? Okay, cool. Thank you. Um, hey, first of all, so good to be back with all of you. It's been a while. It was so funny. Like, my sister was... She came up to me and she was like, welcome back. I'm like, I've not been gone. I've been here the whole time. But it feels like it. It feels like it. But um, as we get into the word, I believe the Lord has something for us that I think affects how we live our family life, our personal lives, but also what we do as a local church. And I think there are things that we need to be growing in that we often don't pay attention to. We just think it happens. And both Bob and Alan have been working with this, this idea that we need to be a people who have not only a vertical relationship with the Lord, but also a horizontal one with one another. And that's not just because it's cute. It's not just a cute thing to be the church or just to be, oh yeah, you know, we're all about family, yay. It's not just about those kind of things. Receiving the work of the Holy Spirit in our church has to be a central component of what we are and who we are. And Alan took great pains to demystify some things that could have been very mystical sounding or very, uh, for lack of a better phrase, just 
don't get it. I don't know what the big deal is. I just follow God. I read my Bible. I don't know what the big deal is. It is a very big deal. And I want to take us through a series called uh, Grow in Grace. And as we grow in the grace of God, one of the things you'll find is this is how God builds his local church through the work of grace. Now, if I said the word grace, what are the things that come to your mind? Because this is a very big word. Power. What else? Anything else that comes to mind with grace? Favor. Forgiveness. Forgiveness big component. Anything else? Anointing. Yeah? Help. I heard something somewhere there. Love. Absolutely. See, now when you start to see, just put all these words together that you just heard. There's so much to talk about when you talk about grace. So it cannot be just uh, an issue concerning how you received your salvation. Because that's often the context in which you hear this word grace. It's by grace you have been saved. Right? Whenever we look at Ephesians chapter 2, that's often where most people hear that word grace from. But I want us to go back a little bit uh, as we start to unpack this. There's a specific thread that I want to draw out when we talk about growing in grace. Is that God wants to build his church through this very vast word called grace. And why does he say that? Alan actually was unpacking most of it as he went along. You might not have noticed it. He might not even use the word grace that many times. That's because the work of the Holy Spirit is the work of grace. Okay? So that's something I want you to put center right in your notes if you're a note taker. So that's the thread we're going to follow. And you'll find... It's almost the bedrock of all the other expressions of that word grace. The receiving of the work of his Holy Spirit and the power of God that has been manifested to you is the work of grace. And that is through the work of the Holy Spirit. So all the other doctrinal issues that you have around that word grace all sit on this foundation of I have given you of myself. My spirit has been given to you. That is a work of favor. That's the work of grace. Okay, so let's just go up to Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to just work through this quickly. I don't want to take too much time here. Because I want you to see the context in which grace has been extended to you. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you once walked following the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom you once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So this is the context in which we all, we all, you, me, everybody, we all existed under the specter of judgment is coming. Not because God wanted to judge people, because God made people, because he loved them and he loved to share of what he had. But we said no. This is the short Cliff Notes version. So judgment rests upon the world not because God wanted to judge the world. It's because we said no to him. But God, and this is the context for how the word grace is framed. 
Okay, so now this is the frame that we're building. But God being what? Rich. He's not poor in this stuff. He's not a miserly God when it comes to this stuff. Being rich in mercy because of what? Great love. Not a little bit of love. Great love. Everybody knows John 3.16. Everyone loved, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, everybody's heard John 3.16 or at least seen it on somebody's eye black or something. Right? For God so loved, that word so is such a tiny word, but that it's, it's this word here. With a great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, that is where we crossed the line that he had set, and we said, no, we're going to go our way. Even when we were in that zone, where we went against him, we trespassed the law of God, the, the safety of his household. And we said, we're going out. We're going to make a life for ourselves. Even when we were far off, think prodigal son. Even while we were far off, he came running towards us with grace. He was not only merciful towards the sin that we had committed, but he poured out favor. He poured out himself for you. He didn't say you, you can just come back home. He didn't just say you're allowed in the house. He said, I will give you a position of honor. So he raised us up. This is amazing. So even while we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And here's that word. It is by grace that you have been saved. And he raised us up and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There's, there's like at least 20 messages in that word right there. Because it's so big when you consider that he not only pulled you off the street. He says, I will put you in a place of honor where the king sits. Now that's grace. So if you were to understand the word favor or forgiveness or love or power, you're being elevated to a place that you could never ascend to yourself. I could never ascend to the place where God sits, even if I tried. Does that remind you of someone who tried that? There was a guy called Lucifer who happened to be in the posse at one time, and he thought, I can't, you know what, I think I can take him. Oh, how great his fall was. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with, it, with, with which he loved you and me, he says, I have saved you, restored you to a position of love and of favor. But not only that, this favor goes even further. You share in who I am. You share in what I have. That place of highest honor. For by grace you have been saved through faith. But before that, let's just go back to verse 7. And this is where we get our title from. So that in the coming ages, he raised you up with Christ Jesus into heavenly places. For what purpose? Okay, now you're sitting up there with Jesus. For what purpose? The clues in verse 7. So that in the coming ages... So not just, we're not just talking about here and now. We're talking about for all eternity in the cosmos. 
he might show the immeasurable riches. So can you measure it again? Okay, it's right there in black and white. It's immeasurable riches of his grace in the kindness he has shown towards us in Christ Jesus. So the bedrock we are standing on when we say we have been forgiven, it is not a cheap word. Being forgiven is not a cheap thing. Having the power of God extended to you is not a cheap thing because it is contained in being seated where the king is. You are not a piece of dirt anymore. You got to stop thinking of yourself that way. There is a sin consciousness that rules in the world. So there is always this sense of, I did something wrong against God. But when God picks you up, he says, now stop thinking that way. But I want you to look from where I'm sitting. Do you remember Alan talked about that? This, this guy in his office, he said, look down, right? This whole idea of looking down at your situation as opposed to looking up. You know, like sometimes when you're in a problem, you say you need to look up. I need to just look up. The problem is we're underneath a lot of situations in our lives. The, the truth of the matter is, go back to verse 6. What does verse 6 say? You have been? You've been raised up and then done what with? Seated. Where? Where is heavenly places? Over your situation, under your situation. Under your marriage, over your marriage. Under that really toxic relationship or over that toxic relationship. Okay. Are we talking about snap your fingers, make believe? No. We're talking about entering into something that is grace to you. You did not earn this. This is not in your, this is not like how in some church circles I've seen people throw out like a little goodie card. Like, oh yeah, I got this favor. No, 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 no. This is a costly thing. Your savior did something that seated you together with him. And he says, now rule with me. Labor with me. It is not something you can earn. So when, we, you, when, we, when you hear the words, love one another, when you hear the words, minister to one another, you're not talking about doing something because of you have some skill. Through, these, through this series, we will start to unpack how God builds up the church through one another, how God has given us gifts, we will unpack all of that. But when you hear those words, I don't want you for a second to think, oh, this is me just doing something good because I can. Uh-uh. This is a seated in heavenly places. Only God can do this thing. This is not a me trying to do something out of my goodwill. Everybody in the world can do that. We have some really, really lovely people out there. Some of them are good friends of mine. But if when they're not connected to the Lord, the only place, the only reservoir, the only well that they can draw from is the goodness that they have towards you. The goodwill that they have is the only place they, they can draw from. But the power of God that has been given to the church is something that only He can work. You cannot work it. 
You cannot work it for your gain. Which is why it is appalling and saddening when I see the church in globally that set an example where the things of God, the costly things of God, are traded off like trinkets, like as though it's like a little goodie bag that you can throw at people. The grace of God is an expensive thing. It is something that does not require a show. And Alan unpacked some of that because the context we live in in American church, we're so used to the show. We're so used to the expressions and the displays. The minister of God. Guess what? The minister is nothing if the grace of God is not at work. But the problem is we're used to talking about the person. We're used to glorifying a person. And that should not be. And this is what I want to get at. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift. Now that word gift there, right, is something that has been given to you. But whenever you see the word gift in the Bible, it's often contained in that same word favor. And when you talk about spiritual gifts, you see the Greek word charis, which is again translated as gift in some places and grace in other places. But it all comes from this work, which is the giving of God which is a favor. Now, I want you to just paint this word favor a little bit more so that you see how it is not just a bear up kind of word. You know how when you say, oh, God, give me grace. It's like one of those days. Grace is not what you need or amazing grace. It's not, it's not one of those like... Things that you just say, oh, well, it's, it's a very southern thing. You just sing those songs and you feel the grace. No, 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 no. The grace that saved you is a grace that doesn't just help you stand your current life. The grace of God towards you is favor from a king. This word grace is a word of favor from a king. Now, everyone's been following what's been happening in the UK. It's, I mean, it literally covers your news feed, right? But these words, when you understand the transition of power from one monarch to another, you start to see, man, there's like so much more to it than just a person dying and another person taking over. There are realms there are places of authority. There are places where their power extends to. What? I thought it was just some little old lady in a castle somewhere. Mm -mm. But now, take the, the, the very poor examples of human monarchy, which are failing... And a lot of them were just not great. And then when you see the power that God has to rule and reign over the situations and the context that we reside in. And he says, I will extend favor to you, but it is within my realm of reach. 
Does that make sense? Everything in your life is within his grasp. So when he says, I extend grace to you, he's saying the authority and the power to get the things done. And that's, some, that's a concept that we totally ignore. We just think it's meant to help us get through the day. But the grace of God is meant to be the power that says, guess what? When you go over there, you just go to the guy at the door and tell him, I sent you. Suddenly, you get opened. Like for the first time, I traveled this summer as an American citizen. And I can tell you, it was a, a weird experience for me. I've lived most of my life having to carry literally half of my life belongings with me because I was questioned at every port of entry. And I'd be taken aside to rooms, checked thoroughly, right? Especially on days like today. It was one of those things where I'm like, the context for me was one of everywhere I go, access was always blocked. I'd have to answer at least 15 questions before I got through. And then suddenly I got this, the authority of the US passport behind me, a blue, I had a different blue passport, it didn't help me. This, this one, for some reason, they didn't even look at my face. I'm like, how do you not look at my face? It's because they saw a passport and I was just walking through things with my kids, bags, all of these things, just walk through. That is favor. I want you to understand favor in the context of access. In the context of the authority and the power to accomplish something without you trying it. So when you read this verse, I want you to see that it's in this context. It is not as a result of work so no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. This is verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for what kind of work? Good work. This is work that blesses not just me. It blesses everybody around me. Which God prepared beforehand. When you see that word God prepared beforehand. That's an exposition of the word grace. It's him saying I have prepared and created the situations and the context for you to walk through it successfully. Does it mean it's going to be a pushover? No. But I have equipped you with everything beforehand. I did not send you out there without the resources necessary. So what should we do? Walk in them. He's prepared these things for you in the context of having you seated with him. In Titus, he talks about this and he puts on this little bit more finer point. He puts this in Titus chapter 3 verses 4. He says, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of our God appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of the regeneration and... Aha. Uh -huh. Suddenly we find... This renewal of grace, this, this gracing or this favor that is being extended to us, is favor being worked into us by the work of His Holy Spirit. So the work of the Holy Spirit cannot be separated from the growth of any believer. 
If you are going to grow in Jesus, guess what you need? His Holy Spirit. You cannot do it without His Holy Spirit. Whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus our Savior. That being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There's that word again of being seated with Him together with Him in heavenly places. So I want to, over this series, so this was more like just the building blocks of what you need to see as grace being more than just a fancy, cute word, but it is the, it is the bricks and mortar of how God builds everything. It cannot be a work of the flesh. Cannot be. I read this the other day and I thought, oh man, I need to share this with you. Now, Galatians chapter 4 all the way through 6, is just read it in your own time. But you will start to see this whole idea of not living according to the old system by which you lived. You're so used to seeing your life as just merely human. Anyone here is not human? Just need to check right now. We're all very human. But the problem is we see the failings of our human body and the failings of our human psyche and just the things that we have going on around us. And we think, well, it's just one of those things. No. Because he says, I have given you a new birth in Christ Jesus. Second Corinthians tells us this in chapter 5. And if you've been made new in him, he says, now live according to this new pattern. The problem is you always want to live according to, well, I... This is, this is what my situation is. No one's saying that's not the situation. The issue is you've been raised up with Christ and seated with Him in heavenly places. There is an access you have to God that is not someone begging for bread. Hello? When you come to God, you are not begging for scraps from His table. You are someone who has, just like me, the, the surprise on my face. You're walking through with a passport that you think like, hang on a minute, shouldn't there be like some kind of like, shouldn't, it be, shouldn't this be a little bit harder? Believe me, there will be hard days I face. But not in that aspect. Because I've learned to walk in a grace that I did not earn. And the Christian life is one where you learn in growing measure. It's, so that is why you will hear scriptures like, according to the faith that you have, walk in that grace. And then as you grow in the grace, and you will find Paul all through his letters, every time he says, grace and peace to you, be in fullest measure. And he constantly is he's encouraging and almost poking at the church. Constantly, hey guys, don't put grace down. Grow in it. Grow in the grace of God because this is, if you put the grace of God down, you start to get into a place where you think, I need to figure this out. And guess what? Out of all of these years that we've been doing life, we've also figured out how to do church. We figured out how to do church. And God be there or not, I can go do church. Some of it will make it onto American Idol too. Look, just think about how the, the craziness of that mixture. American Idol and the holy things of God. 
We are so used to a context where both meet. That should tell you something about church. We're used to a show. We're used to excellence to the point where we are the big deal. Church clothes. Who made that up? And we will put a nice little varnish saying, this is reverence for God. You're going to have church clothes. The audacity. This is something you couldn't earn, man, even with your best clothes. And he says, where are the beggars? Where are the poor among you? Where are the people who look foolish to the world? The people without degrees, the people without education, the people who cannot even hold down a job. They're the people I came for. This is the grace of God at work in the church. And if I'm telling you, over these next few weeks, if, if there's one thing I want you to get is, I cannot do life apart from God. John chapter 15, Jesus said this in no uncertain terms. He did not even mince his words when he said it. He said, without me you can do goose egg. Apart from me you can do no thing. Abide in me. Let my word abide in you. And guess what? My Holy Spirit I will send to unpack it all for you. He will teach you how to live every single day. I've not yet got to this passage, but in Titus it says, The grace of God has appeared to us, teaching us to say no to ungodliness. Guess what? What kind of power does it take to say no to some of the things you want? If you've been in any kind of struggle, in a habit-forming thing, or any kind of relational thing, how hard is it to say no? I'm not doing that. Especially when that person has a relational sort of power over you, like this is your mom or your aunt or whoever, and they're like, no, you got to do this. It's 4th of July. We always do this on this day. And you're like, no. How does, how does that feel in your mouth? Now you know what I'm talking about. The ability to say no to the powers that control our lives is not an easy thing. So when God says, I've given you my grace, it's not a trivial matter. He's saying, I've given you what is necessary to stand up within yourself and say no. You think you need sleep more than you need the presence of God? You think you need coffee more than you need Time in his presence. I'm talking about things that matter to me, okay? This is out of my book, not your book. For me, sleep and coffee are right now core essentials for my living. But the, that is the trade-off of living according to a fleshly way. The new birth and the new life is only by the Spirit of God. That which is... Born of the flesh is flesh. So what you're looking at, what you're looking at in all of us, that is flesh. That's going to die. It may be possible that we can be religious or zealous or dedicated. It, it even may be, 
and this is the key that I want you to get, you might even want to turn over a new leaf. But guess what's on that new leaf? More flesh. See, and this is the problem with believers thinking, if I just knew you're new me, I can suddenly change everything that I was. Guess what? Habits are you. That's what you are. You're your habits. So putting off an old thing and saying, I'm just going to turn over a new leaf, as long as it's dealing with you trying to just behavior modify, there's more flesh underneath that. You cannot be perfected by trying something. Can you just say that? I cannot be perfected by trying something. Say that to yourself. I cannot be perfected by trying something. It is in abiding in the work of Christ that I see change. It is in abiding in the work of Christ that I will see victory. It is in abiding in the work of Christ that I start to see the power of God manifest. It's not me trying something. Have you tried prayer? Have you tried worship? Again, all of these things are tries. Do you hear me? Trying church won't save you. But meeting with God when you come to a church meeting, <laughs> absolutely. I'll be the first one to put my hand up and say, yeah, that'll change your life. But we're used to dressing up flesh and our way of doing things and saying, God should be pretty pleased. That was a good effort. That was an A-plus effort. He's like, it's not based on your effort. Do you get, I mean, I don't know how many ways God can say that. Because we keep trying to say, but aren't you happy with my effort? He's like, you still don't get it. So this is where I want you to get this transition. And, and this transition is God the Father. And this is, there's so much to unpack here. But I just want to unpack this very simple thing. It's not simple. but God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We see these three persons of the Godhead work together in perfect union. Perfect union. But so uniquely different. And why is this relevant? Because the work of grace has this triune God at the center of it. And he says, God the Father is the one who activates or initiates or says, this is my purpose. God the Son, Jesus is saying, yeah, Dad, give me the ball. Give me the ball. Give me the ball. Pass. Let's go. And he's the one who administrates. Whatever the, God, whatever the father says, this is my will. He says, I will do that. He accomplishes what the father has purposed. Which is why you see Jesus constantly refer. While he was on his earthly ministry, he says, I only seek to do the will of my father. I will not do anything else. Someone who is entirely God. Someone who has the authority to move things out of the way. He says, I will only do what I see my 
father do? And then he says, guess what, guys? Don't go anywhere. Wait in Jerusalem. This is Acts chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. And he says, for when you wait in Jerusalem, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In John chapter 14, while he was getting ready to go to the cross and take off, he says, guys, it is good for you that I go away. What do you, wait, hang on. Where, where are you going? Jesus is like, no, it's good for you that I go away. So that my Holy Spirit can come. And he will be with you and he will be in you. What? The fact that he has given us his Holy Spirit to be within us. And Alan took great pains to make sure you don't get any weird ideas from that. Right? Having God living inside you does not make you God. But guess what? The power of God is available for everything that you face in this life. And he says, guess what? It is good for you because I was bound by my human body here. So Jesus died and he rose again. And right now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. The Father. Where is Jesus? Is he here? Dun, 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 dun. And this is one of those things that people don't realize. The one who has been given to us is the spirit of Jesus. So when we worship Jesus, are we playing at something false? No. Jesus, by in his triune unity, is right here. So God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are all here. But what? Who is the one who is expressing that to us? Who is expressing God to us right now? Not Jesus. Where is Jesus? He's waiting. At the right hand of his father for all things to be brought into subjection. And guess who the baton has been passed to? He's passed it to the church. He says, now for the end of this age, I want you guys to take this gospel to Jerusalem, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Right? Are we a people right now sitting in the United States of America? The gospel has reached these shores. It didn't stay in the Middle East. I'm an, I'm a, an example of someone who was on the other side. The gospel reached there too. All the way in India and even in the Far East, the gospel has reached all these places. So now we're in the process of to, as this age rushes to a close, there is a small window of time where we can gather in the harvest. Jesus said, call out to the Lord, cry to the Lord of the harvest, tell him to send laborers out, which is why missionaries do such great service in our world today. We would do well as the church of God to honor those who labor for the gospel in far-reached places. Because these are people who are being the hands and feet of Jesus to people who have nothing to give them. There is no church ministry to support them. So when people go out, we send them with blessing. Why? Because the gospel must go. And who is the agent? Who is the one who enforces the things that Jesus accomplished? 
the Holy Spirit. He's the one who acts on and performs the things that Jesus did and sat down. He's the, he executes the things that Jesus did. So he says, oh, Jesus gave you grace. He has made a way for you to be in favor. Let me show you how favor works. Let me go get the paperwork done. Let me go take it. Holy Spirit does that work. In scripture, and this is going back all the way through the Old Testament. Wherever you see the words with an outstretched arm, the hand of God. We're talking about the, the working of God was always the Spirit of God moving. The Holy Spirit, another word for the Holy Spirit is the hand of God. So wherever you see this whole idea of God stepping in. And we sit there, we have the audacity to say we did that. Word of grace did that. We supported this many missionaries. It is the work of the Spirit. All we get to do is partner with Him. So as you go through this series, I hope you will start to see... God is not in the business of saying, yeah, I'm just going to give you a blueprint and you, can guy, you guys just go for it. He says, now wait for my spirit. Because this spirit, this pneuma of God is not just a, oh, it's just like any other spirit. This is grace to you. I will go into it in detail next week. But I want you to see the richness of God's grace is not just about surviving life. It is about having the power of God to navigate through it. To what end? That at the end of this age, Jesus will rise up and take his rightful place over all the affairs. At the culmination of all these things. Jesus is coming back. Until that time, he is. What is Jesus doing? He is sitting. So if Jesus is sitting, what, are, what should we be doing? Hopefully not sitting in church services for too long. Right? Because that's the tendency we have. We would much rather sit in church services. Do it on a Sunday. Maybe even on a Wednesday if you force me. The kingdom of God is out there on the streets. He says, now go into all the world. Making disciples of men. It is not about your skill set. Look at the guys he picked. Uneducated fishermen. And some other guys who had other issues. So don't ever put your hand up and say, well, I cannot because I, I'm not an extrovert. Guess what? Some of the best preachers of the gospel I know of are not extroverts. And they don't need to have 1,500 people in front of them. All they need is someone one-on-one -on -one to just minister. This is what God did in my life over coffee. Guess what? We have a whole campus of students. We have so many families who have been in our town for generations, some of them, and don't walk with the Lord. When I say this, I want you to understand I'm not saying this as an effort thing, but we owe 
the world an encounter with God. It's not an effort thing. The Holy Spirit is saying, let me out. The Holy Spirit who dwells within you is saying, stop having it in these four walls. The work of grace is not meant for church services only. So when we read some of these passages that we're going to read in the next few weeks, I don't want you thinking it's about church meetings. It's not about church meetings only. It is about how the work of God reigns in your home so that your home becomes an outpost of the kingdom of God. It doesn't take a small group meeting or a Bible study to make it a place where the kingdom of God reaches the world. It could just simply be you having another mom over because she's had a rough time and you say, our kids can play together and we can just talk or talk while our kids are jumping on top of us or whatever it is that, that happens, we'll make it work. Because just me rubbing shoulders with you and letting the Holy Spirit do the work of grace. Who does the work of grace? Holy Spirit does. I don't have to try. I don't have to try. Now I have to do the Christian thing. What's the Christian thing? Can I pray for you? Can I, uh, can I just do something? No, don't, don't do something that you saw on TV. Ask them, what is it that you need? Is it money? Is it someone to watch your kids? Is it just being there to listen to you cry? These things are precious works of grace. As you will start to see from scripture, none of these things have anything to do with any stage. There's no stage involved. Modern church has done this to us. The work of God is always here. The more we get used to looking at one person for an hour and a half. Okay, I guess I'm done. I'm going to go home now. I guess it's football Sunday. <laughs> Something to look forward to. Well, what are we doing? We're wasting our time. The world is out there looking forward to this grace that has been manifest. This riches of grace that we keep talking about. Immeasurable. Woo! It's not immeasurable. My life sucks. That's what the world around you feels like. So when you're going through really, really junky situations, guess what? Your invitation of the work of the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, show me how grace would operate here. Because it's not a trying thing. How do I walk through the death of someone I love? How do I walk through not just having lost my job? How do I walk through having a child that refuses to sleep? My, my situation right now. <laughs> how, how do I walk? But the thing is, the tendency is, I'm frustrated and I have a right to be. This God business doesn't work for this. And I'm going to stick it to God. Really? Okay. The work of grace needs room to operate and he will never push the door down. And Alan covered this really well. The Holy Spirit will not say, well, I'm going to bulldoze my way in because you belong to Jesus. No. He says, I can live in your home or I cannot. That's totally up to you. So growing in the grace of God is a collective 
thing. Let's just turn to the Lord right now in prayer. Father, we thank you that the work of grace is something that you have given to us by your Holy Spirit. And you intend to dwell among us. You intend to live with us in our homes. In the things that we often end up trying so much. We try this, we try that. And we also end up trying you. Lord, I ask that we would move out of a place of trying. Lord, and realize how much we have been given through the work of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to rest in the work that Jesus did. Help us, Lord God, to respond to the work of your Holy Spirit. That we would make room for you. Holy Spirit, we invite you, Lord, into this meeting, into each one listening online. Lord, we thank you that the work of your Holy Spirit is available for anyone who asks. So right now, where you're sitting, just ask. Say, Lord, I want to receive the work of your Holy Spirit in me. Thank you, Lord. Lord, and as we go through this time of studying your word, Lord, and just understanding what you have given to us through your Holy Spirit, I ask, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, to receive it with faith. Lord, that our trying would fall to the ground, that we would truly be people who walk by your Spirit and grow in the grace of God. In Jesus' name, amen. I think. Amen. Yes. <laughs> um, just a sidebar before I give you guys some announcements. If you are new to the church, um, I joked about this with Kim that the way the Word of Grace kind of works is like it's like one message in one year with like 52 parts basically. So it'd be helpful for you to go back and to uh, listen to older messages that Alan has preached and Bob has preached and Donovan has preached. Just